and welcome back to Young Bucks, the Pittsburgh Pirates Prospect Podcast, brought to you by myself, Alex Slump, and my co-host, Jared Prugar. Jared, how you doing, man? Alex, I'm pretty good uh, for this Friday evening that we're recording. This is a little different than last week. Um, I'm not in a stairwell in a, in a high school, so it's oh, a little different to be you're just recording giving, from my seat. You're just giving all the industry secrets behind, you know, last week. Right. And so my goal here with our podcast is to record in a different place every week and keep everybody on their toes. And who's where's Jared going to be podcasting from this week? Where today it's my it's my desk is Jared Prugar. There you go. Right. Today it's my desk. Tomorrow my or next week it might be my living room. It might be even down the street. I don't know. And neither do you. So that's what makes it what makes it what's intriguing. It's just like being a prospect. And like, maybe what, what is the best podcasting prospect area for me to record from? And I'm just trying to find that out, Alex. Well, I would venture guess and say in Altoona it would be People's Natural Gas Field, and maybe we'll get to do that at some point this year. Man, I hope so. I, I really hope so. Um, I, I'm hoping for some for some sunshine. Obviously, we're dealing with snow. You're lucky. You get to go to spring training at some point. I, however, am, am stuck middling through um, the winter in the northeast or southwest, or however you want to feel like it is, depending oh, okay, on uh, baseball. which baseball league you're you're yeah. in. Yeah, and saying you're lucky to go to Florida mid-pandemic is definitely one choice of adjectives. But we're done stalling for now. We got we got a good topic here this week, and you know it's top prospect time all the way through, and best way to do it we figured is top 10 pitching prospects in the pirate system and the top 10 hitting prospects in the pirate system and we're going to do the pitching first time through jared i will defer to you would you like to go first or would you like to take the next two listen i'm going to take the next two because i know exactly who you're going to talk about because it's a guy that i would talk about as well and i hope that at some point saying all those p's is going to help us speak a little bit better because yes. it sounds like you almost got tongue twisted. Yes. <laughs> pop, pop, pop. It's wonderful on a microphone. Okay, but my number 10 guy is someone that I've written about this offseason. Um, it's Max Kranich. And I'm, I'm admitting that I'm buying into the hype with Max. I'm buying into what he has done this offseason or during this season away from everyone, where he was able to still build up arm strength. He was able to find some velocity. He was able to find a better way to spin his breaking stuff. There's a lot of good things that I saw out of Max, or just talking to him this past year. And now it's going to be translating that into game situations. Here's a guy who, if he... I see two paths with Max Kranich. I see him, if he sticks as a starter and he has that mid-90s fastball, he could be a good back end of the rotation starter. If he doesn't stick as a starter, we've seen him dial it up to 97, 98, 99. That's good for a relief role. So I, I feel like he has a higher floor, which is why the Pirates put him on the 40-man roster this offseason. They wouldn't have if they didn't feel like they were going to get something out of him at the major league level. He's a fast riser. I think... It, that halfway through the season, he's got to be a lot higher on people's radars than they are right now. Right, and I think that's true. I mean, we talked about him a little bit last week, and I think he was a big beneficiary of being able to go to that alternate spring training site in Altoona. 
So he's gotten to work with Hanrahan quite a bit, pretty extensively. And I think he's a guy that really benefited that in, in a large, in a big way, because it's allowed him to kind of develop his game and really just work on the fine-tuning aspects. Because obviously you're not getting a lot of game action when you're when you're there and, and you're in that situation. Yeah, they did some live scrimmages. But having that opportunity to just spend a year just honing your craft and really getting better at the little things that's going to make him a, a competitive Major League pitcher, I think, is huge for a guy like um, like Crowder. All right, Jared, your turn. Ten and nine. Oh, man. So i got to go with two guys that I've seen pretty extensively over uh, my course of covering uh, the Altoona Curve. Uh, Blake Cedarland is is my next guy. Um, he's got a he's got a big-time heater. He got a little taste of the majors last year, but control has always been an issue for him. So, I mean, it's tough to, to kind of gauge that, but he's a guy that is going to keep going out there, and, and when, he, when he throws strikes, man, he's on. And that's a, that's pretty that's pretty impressive when you're throwing up triple digits, high nineties consistently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I all my guys are starters, but I would say Blake Seelin is number one as far as relief pitchers go in the organization. Right, and that's and I think that's exactly what they need right now. You have a guy that if you can get into into situations where you can change velos, where you got Seelin going out there and throwing the three guys, and he's gassing it up. And then you come in next time through that lineup and you bring in somebody soft or somebody from the left side. That's that's how you win baseball games. You keep you keep defenses or not defenses, but offenses on their toes and hitters on their toes. That's gonna be huge for these guys moving forward. It's just a change of pace and, and changing that up and not allowing uh, the opponents to get their um, to get their sea legs, to get their to get their feet wet and, and get them comfortable. And, and when you can do that, man, good things happen. And we've seen that from the Pirates in the past. Now, my next guy is another guy that throws up there big time, Nick Mears. Now, he is so intriguing to me, and I did a feature on him last year because he kind of just came out of nowhere. Like, just literally out of nowhere, it seemed. Um, and he's another guy with control issues. So, obviously, you know, that's going to happen. And he got a taste of, in, in four major league games last year. But the issue with him is, listen, it's a completely different ballgame when you get to the majors because when you're out there on that mound, you got you got so much more adrenaline going, and you're you're playing in a professional stadium, whether there were fans there or not. So getting him that taste, I think, is going to be huge for his development moving forward. Because guess what? Now when he gets that opportunity in 2021, he's going to be comfortable in the situation and comfortable in his role. And I think that's going to be big for the Pirates moving forward, whether he starts the season in AAA or with the big club. You know, I again, I didn't have any relievers on my list, but my top two relief pitchers would have been Blake Cedarlin and Nick Mears, and that's why we're best friends. Yes. <laughs> listen, listen, you got the starters, I got the relievers for the most part, but no, absolutely, they're, they're, um, they are the two best, I think, in the in the system right now. Yeah, and and Mears, I'm not 100. I'm not 100 convinced that Cedarlin is going to end up being better than Mears, or. If one of those two could potentially be a setup man or closer, it might be Mears. Honestly, it's just honing that in. He's got the high speed stuff. He's got great his stuff tunnels. The breaking ball will fall where you know it'll look like a fastball up into the point of demarcation for a hitter. It's a good two pitch repertoire. Right, and I think they work well. I mean, you you look at them, and I think they're a good one A one B right now with the way things are. But I think there's there's a lot of potential there. 
to kind of to they're both young guys. You can build on them in the in the back end of the the bullpen, and they throw gas. If you can control that and and get them into situations where number one they're not throwing two seamers all the time, but number two, like they're they're in positions where they can succeed. That could be a pretty lethal back end of the back end of the bullpen and back end of the rotation uh, potentially. Okay, two for me. Um, at number nine for me. Number nine and number eight. Are, this is very very close. You could basically call this a tie, since I mean I'm saying them at the same time. But just for the sake of being in top ten, I have Ronzi Contreras, who the Pirates got in the Jameson Town trade, is number nine. Uh, really smooth motion. This guy was considered the top pitching prospect out of the Dominican the year that he signed as an amateur. And, you know, the Yankees put him on the 40-man roster this year, but that was more they were just afraid to lose him in the Roll 5 draft. They ended up being able to trade him because he definitely would have been taken, you know, Roll 5 draft somewhere. He might have been taken by the Pirates first overall if he would have been in the draft. But here's a guy who I'm not 100% convinced is going to stay a starter. He He definitely has, like, a good back end of the rotation type ceiling right now. I think he might profile better as a reliever down the stretch. There's potential here. Again, he's kind of in the same boat as Max Kranico. Here's a guy who's maybe not 100% ready to pitch in 2021, but might get the opportunity later in the year. Um, You know, is going to be on that fringe back end of the rotation spot. Is he a relief pitcher? Just someone that you know they're going to get some value out of. And, right, and, and when you trade guys like Tyon, you need to get in my opinion, guys that are going to make an impact, and it might not be right away, but you have to get guys that are going to make an impact in one way or another in the very near future if you're going to trade a guy like Jamison Tyron. Yeah. Well, or even just to build off that, if you get a four-player package back, you should have someone. One of those four can be more Major League ready. Like, the Pirates aren't afraid to get these younger 19, 20-year-old kids, but in this regard, it's like, yeah, it's good to get someone who could be in the Major League soon. And, you know, the Pirates got another pitcher in that trade who's a little higher on my list. Not getting to that point yet. Uh, I'm still on number eight, and that's someone that you and I have both talked to uh, in our Zoom cast back during the quarantine, and then I talked to during uh, this offseason. That's Michael Burrows, and this is the guy who I, I admit, I'll admit, I'm very bullish on him. I am very, very bullish on this guy. Great spin, great movement. He's He's a student of the game. He knows, or he's always looking for ways to learn, which I know is something that the Pirates definitely value out of their players. And you know what? That exploration, that experimentation, he's picked up a whole lot of spin efficiency this offseason. His pitches are going to pitch or move even more. And, you know, in the last regime, they identified, like, high spin rate, good movement, but they used him in the wrong way. I think with this new regime, and he's going to, they're going to have him pitch upper in the upper part of the zone more. It's going to lead to something. And, you know, I've, I've seen the videos of him hitting 95 on the gun in, like, baseball camps this offseason. If he is going to ramp it up to the mid-90s with that breaking pitch, that's something really good. The only question is, will he be able to develop a changeup and actually stay a starter? If he doesn't, this guy will be a really good relief pitcher. I'm very bullish on this guy. I think this is going to be the breakout prospect for the Pirates in 2020 for their pitchers. Right. You're absolutely right, and I think what's great about Burroughs, not only is, is he a friend of the program, but yes. the, issue, the good thing with him, though, is he has that versatility where, at this point, he's a very, very, he can be a very good back-end starter. But 
you know, you see how it goes. And, and he can very be, he can be a very versatile reliever. That versatility, I think, is huge because when you're moving up in the system and you have different things going on here, there, you got injuries here, you need that versatility and you need to, to learn as a pitcher, hey, listen, these situations are going to be different because if you're a reliever, you're probably coming in and it's you're going to have to clean up a mess. So you've got to be ready to go from your first pitch. Whereas as a starter, you're getting a clean inning almost every time you go out there. Unless it's the unless you're in extra innings, but you're not going to be a starter pitching in extra innings unless you're in a in a dark spot. But you know, it's a situation where he has that versatility, and I think that to me is really what makes him even higher on on your list um, than what what we would expect typically after last season. All right, do you want to give two or three this time around, Alex? I can't count to two. I can't count to three, but I'll give you two. All right, let's go to that. I, I learned to count to three. You're an educator, man. You're right. I teach fourth grade math, but um, such is life. Luckily, I, in baseball, you only have to really count to nine. Um, and at most three, depending on if I'm not keeping count of pitches, somebody does that for me. Um, I like Luis Oviedo. Um, he was acquired in the in a trade with the Mets this offseason. And I think this is a guy that's really – he's struggled with his injuries throughout his career. But – that velo is there, and once again, it's a guy with control issues, but it's a guy in that bullpen that can really make an impact, and I think that's going to be where they need him to, to produce the most. And when you have guys like that, you know, you, <laughs> I think they have him set up for, for success. Yeah, and this guy they got in the Rule 5 draft, they, they Matt's actually picked him, they traded him over. Here's a guy that the parts internally think could be a starter, but, you know, you have to keep him on the roster the whole year. It's going to make a whole lot more sense to put him in the bullpen for a year. This time in 2019, or going into the 2020, 2019 season, I'm sorry, going into the 2019 season, this guy looked like he was going to be the next big pitching prospect with uh, Cleveland. He struggled, took a, and then the off year happened. But the Pirates scouted him in the Venezuelan League. They saw that his fastball velocity was back up to 97-98 starting. And I'll tell you what, if he's hitting 97-98 as a starter, yes, this is a guy who can pitch in the major leagues. Right, and not just in a bullpen role. Like, this is a guy that, like, he has, the, he has the potential. I think he has the tools. Obviously, we haven't really seen much about him because he's he wasn't in the organization last year. But this is a guy that I think is, is really – somebody to keep your eye on. And I'm very interested to see where he had, where they put him to start the season. Now, next on my list is another guy that was acquired via trade. I like my man, Eddie Yee. He came over in the Josh Bell trade from the nationals. And I think this is another guy that has the potential. He's a 19 year old arm, which is, you know, you have to be careful with stuff like that um, because they're young. And you just don't know what you're going to get. But he, there's a lot to dream about here. There's a lot to really, that you can really expand the mind here. But he's just not major league ready yet. And that's okay, right? Well, this is a prospect show anyway. But he's a guy that's developing his slider and his curveball, and he has a mid-90s fastball. And when you have that, you know, he can still maintain being a starter. But also, I think it's going to be huge for him. He's another guy that can be versatile in both a, a relief role or as a starter in the back end. So he's a guy I think that there's a lot of upside to. But he is 19, and I think his age right now is the biggest drawback. It's just 
there's a lot of risk, but there could also be a lot of reward too with him. Yeah, and I, as coincidence has it, I have Yin as my number seven pitcher on my list too. So great minds think alike right there. Uh, this guy, like you said, the Arsenal, it's big stuff. It's big stuff. He's adding on weight. He's gotten, he looks a lot healthier than he was whenever he signed. Here's a guy who's grown into his body and he's growing into his pitches. And yeah, he's got to need a couple years until he's in the major leagues. That's fine. But man, this is a guy who, we have him at number seven right now. I wouldn't be shocked if we did this same show a year from now. He's top three. And yes, I'm saying top three, knowing that Kumar Rocker is probably going to be the number one draft pick and Quinn Priester is also going to be in the minor league system. Like, here's a guy who has big stuff, could do a lot of good, potentially. Right, the potential, and, and we talk about that all the time, the potential's there, but he's, like, like we've said, he's 19. So, like, he's still developing, not only mentally and, and, and on the physical side of, of baseball, but physically, in the developmental side of being a human, he's still not physically mature yet. And when he becomes that that mature adult physically, this is a guy that could potentially be lights out. Hey, we've done 10 through 7. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be right back with our next couple selections. Young Bucks, the Pittsburgh Pirates prospect podcast. That is too many P's. We have to find another way to say that without so many P's. We have done, Jared Pruger and I, we're going through our top 10 prospects, pitching prospects in the Pirates system. And right now we're on number six and number five. I'm going to take both of those right now. Number six for me is Carmen Majinski. And here's a guy who was the supplemental first round pick that the Pirates had this last year. And, you know what, this guy is still kind of raw as a pitcher. He really didn't start pitching until his senior year in high school. So whenever whenever the parts say he has a slider, it's still more of a cutter. There's still some cut along with it. It's still developing as a pitch. But here's a guy, healthy fastball, developing breaking ball, good off-speed stuff. And, man, I... This is one of those intangibles, and, you know, I, I usually talk about spin rates and movement and, you know, fastball velocities, but dude's a dude's a dog. Like, the dude is a competitor in, in stuff like this. Like, hearing him do – one of my favorite stories that I heard about the guy was he was in the Cape Cod League, and for whatever reason, it was always raining during his throw days. And he just got sick of it one day, and he just went out there and got soaked and went through all his motions, you know. <laughs> just did a regular throw day, getting absolutely soaked. Which, it, it's funny, but it's also kind of an indicator for the type of character this guy has. Good stuff. I like the mentality even more. Here's someone that I... I he was a first-round pick for a reason. Right, and I think, I mean, we talk about these guys, and, and that's stuff like that, I mean, that bulldog mentality is, I think, something that, that this organization needs every time somebody toes the rubber, man. Obviously, there are different demeanors and different attributes that make pitchers pitchers, but having a guy like that that's willing to do whatever it takes just to even get a throwing day in, mm-hmm. I think is huge. 
But I think he's got the potential to really be a successful major league pitcher here once he gets to that level. Obviously, he's far from ready, and that's obviously that's that's normal. But he, when if he keeps progressing the way that he should, he could be in Pittsburgh and, and banging down that door relatively soon. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he could be potentially in that 2023 mix of all these young pitchers that are kind of on the rise. Uh, fifth for me is Tanaj Thomas. Look, if we just want to talk pure stuff and not talk about anything else, this guy might be number one in the Pirates system. But he hasn't pitched above rookie ball yet. And he needs to do a whole lot of growing up really fast because he needs to be added to the 40-man roster to protect to protect him to the, from the Rule 5 draft next year. I don't know if he can stick as a starter. If he can, this guy could be a front-of-the-rotation starter. I'm, I'm doubtful that that could happen. Just hearing what I, I've heard about the guy, but, you know, really good stuff. High 90s fastball that with rise type of deal. Like, it's, it's kind of like a, a Nick Mears fastball, but Nick Mears is a reliever. Which, if this guy is a reliever, okay, that could. I just said that Nick Mears might end up being the closer of the Pirates of the future. But if he could be a starter, okay, we got something here. Breaking stuff, developing. This is the. More than any other pitcher on this list, this is the most. This is the biggest for Thomas. Thomas has the most to gain or lose this season. Because if he has a big year, and if he could. I know it'd be a rapid ascension, but if, even if he could get to about two to four a day at the end of the season, just for one appearance at the end of the season, that would go a long, long way for keeping him a starter in the major, make him a starter in the major leagues. If he can't, guy's probably going to be a reliever. I think he'd be a very good one. No, and I agree. And I mean, that upside is something that the Pirates need to capitalize on because you have a guy that can throw accurately and throw deep in the games in the high 90s. That's huge. And and when you have that opportunity, man, that's that's great because you're not throwing out a guy that's going low 90s, mid 90s. You're now you're throwing a guy that's high 90s, and he's going to come at you six, seven innings a game, and that's huge. But also, if that doesn't happen to work out for him, he's got that he's got that ability to be a high leverage reliever and into and get into a situation where he could see some action in high leverage situations because of that that movement. And, and that velocity that, that you mentioned. All right, better up, Jared. What do you got? Listen, I'm going to go back to the Josh Bell trade. I like Will Crow. Whoa! Yeah, Whoa! Right. See, this Very is this is why I like this show, because we're on the same wavelength, and every once in a while we surprise one another. Right. And this is why I like him. He is an innings guy. He is an innings eater, Right. But when he pitched for the Nationals this year, he like in, in the in the games that he that he appeared in, he just did not look good, right? So he got that taste, and we talked about that. You know, um, he started three games for the Nationals. I think he's a guy that could really, really eat some innings in the rotation um, if given the opportunity. But I think this is also a guy. You know, he's got some upside, man, and he's he's. Not going to be one of those elite strikeout guys. He's not going to be one of those guys that is going to go out and strike out 
9, 10, 11, 12 a game. But he is a guy that's going to go out there and, and get, get innings. But he's also a guy that I think that hasn't tapped into his potential yet. He's got incredible spin rates, and he's got a good four-pitch um, repertoire that, that really can be worked with, especially as a starter. Now, whether that happens, I think is to be determined. But he's got the potential to be a, a good sports starter, fifth starter. And, and with that repertoire, I think he could also be a decent uh, a quality reliever as well. I, I've i written about Crow a couple times. And I've written this a couple times. I tr- fully anticipate that sinker just being ditched. It's not a very good pitch. It doesn't sink as much as it could have the guy pitch to his strength because the fat four receiver seems like a much better pitch for him. Um, I'll, I'll disagree in that he's, you know, a top 10 pitching prospect for me, but I do like his mentality. I do like that. He wants to attack hitters. He's and he said last year, you know, I was trying to be a little too fine. I was, he didn't say pitching scared, but you know, listening to what I said, it was basically adjacent to that, you know, the pressures of, you know, coming up to the major leagues for the first time. That'll be definitely something to watch. I, if he does attack hitters, I'm more, I'm interested to see what he can do. I don't think he's going to be a great pitcher in the major leagues, but yeah, if you set the floor of him being a good inning eater back end of the rotation starter, I could see that for Will Crow. Yes. I, and I think, I mean, you, yeah, it's nice to have floors and ceilings and, and whatever, and I didn't even reach it to the floor. I was still stuck in the basement in my baseball abilities. Um, <laughs> but that's why I'm talking prospects um, with you. I think another guy that, um, moving on from, from Will Crow, the long-lost cousin of Russell, um, <laughs> I, at least I think so. I just it, I, I like it, and I think that's what we're going to stick with. But I'm going to go with a guy uh, named Nick Garcia, right? He's He, he was a 2020 draft pick. This is a dude that used to hit, and he comes from Division Three, and you really don't see a lot of guys from that level, you know, kind of, kind of stick. Um, but this is a guy; he he has a mid nineties fastball, and then he was a closer at his uh, in college, and he was he balled out, man. He he was nine and 12 saves, eighty two strikeouts, and only threw fifty six innings. So the arm has life in it, um, and with. <laughs> And he's got that, um, he's got that mentality. So he's got, he's been a hitter before. So he's thinking as a hitter and as a pitcher at the same time. And when you get that man, um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird and it's cool. And I, and I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but the guy that taught me how to teach hitting as a, as a baseball coach was a pitcher. And it was, uh, my friend Grant Jackson who passed away last week, but, so you have that mentality. I mean, you have that, man. Um, it's going to be crazy. But the knock on Garcia, I think, for me, obviously that's Division Three. Division Three baseball compared to Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball is obviously vastly different. And that's okay. But when he makes that, that debut, I think really he can start working up the ladder if he can get to where he was when he was in college. I, I never got to put this story actually in print just because of when the draft happened last year and things started to get, you know, complicated with baseball right after. It just never materialized as its own story. Um, but I talked to his catcher, Joe Jimenez, who the Pirates actually ended up um, signing as an undrafted free agent 
during the period. So they might end up, you know, continue throwing to each other at some point in 2021. But like you said, Nick Garcia went to went to college as a hitter. In his first year of a hitter, he and Joe had a real heart-to-heart where Nick basically said, like, I, I'm not going to make it as a hitter. Can, can I st- do you think I could still be a professional baseball player? And Joe said yes. And soon after, he started evolving as a he took up he became a pitcher, and he started to evolve there. So he's raw. He's very very raw. He's full disclosure. He was number eleventh on I, on my list. So I, I respect the heck out of this pick right here. Um, guy, mid nineties fastball. The sliders like Majinski. He's developing it. It's more of a cutter right now. Let's see how that continues to develop. Guy could be a middle-of-the-rotation starter. I think that's a reasonable ceiling for him. He's got a long way to go, but I I like bringing in Joe Jimenez also, even if it is kind of like a a backwards Bull Durham type of way that he's going to help Nick Garcia progress as a pitcher in the professional ranks. Right, and I think that's that's a great point because there's nobody – I mean, when you think about D three baseball, I mean, you're you're not getting the the analytics that you would get if no. you were playing for Butch Thompson at, at Auburn. You're not getting this, but there's nobody that knows a pitcher better than a catcher. So you take a, a flyer on a on a guy like that, you get a package deal because guess what? Now you've got the raw talents of Garcia, but you've also got his catcher who knows how to channel that and really how who can help build on that. And I think that is, I think that's really understated. And I think that could really have an impact uh, moving forward as, as they both progress up the ladder. For my four and three, the two biggest trades that Charrington has made as GM have been the Starling Marte trade and the Jamison Tyon trade. And in both of those trades, they got a starting pitcher. I have them both on my list. Number four is Miguel Yohure who they got in the tie-on trade, and number three is Brennan Malone, who they got in the Starling Marte trade. I'll just start with Yohure real fast. Yohure, he's in the major leagues. He's a major league ready starter. He can he could be in the opening day rotation. Guy has good stuff. He's a solid middle of the rotation type of starter. He fastball ticks up. Cutter has a lot of spin. Cutter has more spin than the slider which is something that's kind of, not kind of, very unique. I'm, I'm looking forward to, talk to talking to him at some point this spring training. Like, yo, how do you get that extra spin on it? But it will run away from right-handed batters. Curveball will drop. There's a lot I like about Miguel Yohure's makeup and his arsenal. Good stuff there. Malone is someone that I've written about a, a couple times. He's hitting 98, 99, flirting with 100 on the gun as a starter. Like, we can talk about the breaking stuff or whatever, but that that's the story right there. If you're hitting 100 and you could throw it up in the zone, that's more than half the battle for a young starting pitcher in his position. He's still growing. He has the right mentalities. He's a competitor. Two guys who the Pirates, these are almost the centerpieces. Malone was a package deal. It was him and Pagaro. They were kind of like a 50-50 split. Yohure was the main takeaway from the Jamison Tyon trade. Yohure probably was going to be the fifth starter for the Yankees if they don't trade for Jamison Tyon. So, yeah, put him into the rotation now. Let's see how the kid does over the course of a whole season. 
no, I think that's absolutely correct. I think I think it's a very good way to look at it. And and we talked extensively today about developing all these guys have power arms. So this is a Charrington staple, right? This is what this new front office wants is they want those those power arms. Um, and I think those two are, they both have the opportunity to to make an impact. But I think the biggest thing with Malone and he was right. We we have him in the same position on our list. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to talk about him now before I pivot back to my number five guy or, or whatever number we're on. I, like I said, I, I'm not very good with Jared. Um, <laughs> but but this is a guy that you know he's going to be able to work on his mechanics and everything. Um, but this is a guy who hasn't who hasn't pitched in a while. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Malone has grown. Because he is a very young pitcher. Now he was low A, or but having this, getting to see him grow, I think, and getting to see where he's at um, when he steps on the mound in spring training and, and then in uh, actual games, I think he can end up moving up the ladder rather quickly, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, this guy was a first round draft pick in 2019. Like, right? This this guy. <laughs> This is a serious prospect here. No, absolutely, and and like you said, he's a, he was the focal point in the trade. Obviously, a package deal, but he's he's a guy that the Pirates went out and wanted. Um, and and when you go out and you seek and you seek those guys out, there's there's a reason, and there's a reason why Charrington wanted him, and, and obviously they got him. Yeah. So I mean, it, it it's just going to be interesting to see what happens when he finally gets to toe the rubber. Um, in a pirate's uniform. Just just one quick note before you go in there to interrupt real fast with Malone. Just a quick note. He was drafted by the Diamondbacks. Two teams that did heavily look at him, though, before in the draft were the Pirates. The Pirates ended up taking Priester instead, who, spoiler alert, is on the next segment that we're going to have. And the Blue Jays also looked at him extensively if he would have fallen into the second round. So these are two guys that, but not only that the old regime liked, but the new regime liked and. You know, a lot of the scouting of the old regime is still here. There's a lot of people in this organization who like Brendan Malone. Right, and rightfully so. I, how could you not with with his capabilities and with with his promise? I think that's a guy that um, that you could you could build around. Mm-hmm. Um, but enough about Malone. We're, I, my guy is a guy that has a very very good first name, Jared Jones. Um, he was taken in the second round in 2020. Um, he's a prep guy. He, he played in high school. He's um, another power arm, uh, just like we would say. And he's a guy that's 6'2", 176. So, like, at 19 and at that age, just like we said about Yeen, he's a guy that can develop still on that frame. And that's not going to be bad weight. That's not going to be baby fat. He's going to get rid of that baby fat, and he's going to turn it into muscle. And I, um, he was a guy that was a two-way guy um, when he played in high school, but he's got um, he's got to develop the slider and the changeup to stay in the rotation uh, long term. But this dude's athletic, uh, and he's got a pretty good feel for for what he's throwing. And when you have that man, and you're an athlete on that mound, that is a really good recipe for success. You know. He- you brought up the two-way angle. I got to talk to his high school coach a little bit. Another story that just kind of got put on the... That was just, unfortunately, part of the cutting floor because he signed pretty fast in, in the whole process. So, um, But, again, dude's a competitor. They kind of had to, like, 
tell him, you sit him down and tell him, like, you can't kill yourself as a position player, man. You're going to get drafted as a pitcher. You're going to make a lot of money as a pitcher if you don't, you know, kill yourself. And they had a hard time convincing him. This guy, this is a kid who wants to win. And I, I have nothing to add on the stuff-wise. Like, it's really good stuff. It's incredibly raw. Like, we talk about the 2023 window where a lot of these pitching prospects are going to be up either about then or a little before then. He's going to be in that 2024, maybe even 2025 range, depending on how much he was able to grow this season. But kid's a gamer. <laughs> it's I, I'm, I'm intrigued by him. I want to see him in a game, though, before I put him in my top 10. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But that's why we are here. We agree to disagree, and that's why we are in charge of this podcast because it's ours and ours alone. Um, now that I've taken over the reins with you, um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, the game action, and that's what's tough because a lot of these guys haven't played in a year, so we don't know what they're going to be like once they step on that mound and and what they've been able to, to grow and develop because it's not like they had access to super professional. Um, facilities some guys you know they didn't have that opportunity they're, they're working out their high schools if they could their old colleges or just random fields that they can find um i know when we talked to burroughs it was tough for him to find places to work out and get work in so it's going to be interesting to see how these guys have, have developed their skills over that time because listen like we like we talked about a couple times there's nothing quite like game action yeah so Jared and me, I haven't, I don't have the official tally, but I think we only have two guys on our list overlapping out of this top ten. I, I think these top two picks though are gonna be pretty similar. Young Bucks. This one's gone long, but it's been a lot of good conversation, so I really don't mind the time. Hopefully, you guys don't either. A lot of good insight. A lot of, a lot of, not a lot of overlap. So this has ended up kind of almost becoming a de facto top twenty, except it's going to end right here because whenever you look at the Pirates farm system, they're a clear top two pitchers. Number two, Cody Bolton, and number one, Quinn Priester. Jared, is there any? I've never objection? heard of them, Alex. Can you tell me a little bit more about them? Oh, you don't know anything I about them. <laughs> I say that in jest. We all know who Bolton and Priester are. Um, I especially have gotten to see Cody Bolton grow um, because he was in, in double-A the last chance uh, that he got, you know. Um, and he was a stud in Altoona again in 2020. Um, but Priester is a guy that I think we're both intrigued about. But I'll let you get on and talking about um, our friend Cody Bolton. Yeah, Cody Bolton, I mean, like I said, you've actually seen more of Cody Bolton because he's been, a, been in Altoona. But good sinker, good breaking ball, good changeup. Ben Sherrington kind of tipped his hand and said that, you know, you know, Cody Bolton was his go-to guy up in the upper part of the Pirates organization for, you know, like, good pitching prospects. Like, he's the best pitching prospect up here. And he quite 
literally is. I mean, unless you want to count guys who are, are in the majors already, you know, like the Ahures or anything. Those are the only guys who are really in the mix. We'll probably see Bolton at some point this year. And he's not part of that 2023 wave. He's part of that potential 2021 wave. Like, good stuff, good mentality. He got hit a little bit in Altoona in 2019, but he got a whole year in the camp last year in the training site. He got to spend a whole lot of time around people who were going to be either in the majors or were very close to the majors, and he impressed there. A lot of good stuff out of Cody Bolton. His resume is really thin, or thick. Right, and and that's you're right. So he started in 2019. He was in Bradenton and had a good deal of success there. Uh, went six and three, and then his he had a one six one ERA and um and sixty one and two thirds innings um for the Marauders, and that obviously warranted his uh, his call up to to Altoona. And yeah, it was mixed. Um, I think a lot of it, you know, when you get called up, that routine is different, and you've got to adjust because. High A is very different from double A, and we talk about that. It's where where pitchers really become pitchers in double A, where they they're starting to to learn not just to throw it; they're starting mm-hmm. to pitch it. And I mean, in a lot of my talks with with Joel Hanrahan, um, and that's really what he kind of honed in on is that when you come to double A, man, the pitchers know what they're doing, the hitters know what they're doing too. So he had to develop that that part of his game as well. Um, but in that limited action in Altoona, I mean, he he. It was two and three, like I said. He appeared in nine games, started all nine of them, um, struck out 26. Or I'm sorry, I, I looked at the wrong stat there. He struck out 33, but he gave up 26 runs. So, yeah, he did get hit, hit around a little bit, but I think that taking that adjustment period um, into it, I think, is huge as well. And when he's able to do that, man, I think he's got some talent too, and we could see him by the end of the year in, in Pittsburgh. And just to touch on the thrower versus pitcher that's the perfect way to transition in the priester because here's a guy that jim callis one of the best the absolute best sources that you're gonna ever if not the absolute best source for uh prospect information said that scouts have told him that they would be surprised if quinn priester is the best pitching prospect in baseball you know by the end of this year and if there is any and we're kind of stretching here not to put too much you know pressure on the guy or like put in a messiah complex or anything but like the thing with him is so far he's gotten by with throwing it's going to be evolving as a pitcher which you know every you know 19 20 year old is going to have to do at some point in baseball in their career so this is going to be a good year for him if he does take that step though man hit a rotation led by him and rocker and keller could be a dangerous 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 top three in a couple years no I, yeah i mean he's a he's a big time arm man and i think this is a guy that you know you look at him and he has been able to pitch in the minors unlike some of these guys that we talked about today um but the way that he's growing the way that he's going to keep growing now granted he didn't really play very much um but you know you get those games in and he went from rookie ball to low A in eight games. So you look at that, he can, he's, he's a guy that I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he started in Altoona. Um, just skip high A altogether um, and then come into, come into the season in Altoona 
and then he could be in um, Indianapolis by two quarters away through the year, if not maybe sooner, depending on how it goes. And and yeah, you're right. I think he does have that potential. Now that is a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Like I I don't know what I would do under that pressure. Um, but I think it's it's an excellent opportunity for him to, to keep going. And he's also a guy that's now he's 20 years old. But he's still physically developing, as well as mentally developing as a professional, um, as a professional pitcher. But it, this is a guy that that has the potential to. He could be knocking on Pittsburgh's door by the end of the year if if things go to plan and he avoids the injury bug and 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 keeps progressing at at the level that he has been. I, I'm a little less bullish on the on the projection. I think he's going to start the year in Greensboro with a potential promotion to Altoona definitely being in the cards at some point midseason. I, I view him as 2023. And it might be a little earlier in 2023, but he's he's going to be the guy who... I, I, if I had a nickel for every time I've talked about this next wave of pitching, and I'd, I'd you know, be able to sign the next guy, signing bonus to be part of that next wave. But there's a whole lot of wave... There's a whole group of pitching that's going to be coming up about then and Quinn Priester is going to lead the pack I don't think only because he's the best pitcher I think he's also going to be just a little bit ahead of everyone once Quinn Priester reaches the majors I think you're going to start seeing a change with the Pittsburgh Pirates like it's going to be rough baseball for the next two years but that's going to be like the beacon of the Calvary's coming no and I think that's a pretty good uh, pretty good way to look at it because I think there are some good young arms coming up um, and I think that like we talked about today, um, it's a good opportunity for them to keep growing. And, and I, like I said before, I'm very interested to see how these guys have developed um, over the last year because most of us, we haven't really seen them. Like, yeah, we get to see a little bit here and there. And I, and I saw a couple workouts from the street uh, when they were in Altoona, but you just can't see anything up close and you, all they are are just black shirts and, and baseball pants. But to see how these guys have developed without playing games. Um, we talk all the time about game reps and, and game situations. Well, these guys, their workouts didn't really replicate that. And that's that's a year saved, potentially, a year of mileage saved on those arms. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how these guys have developed. Now, obviously, Priester and, and guys like him were in Altoona and had that opportunity. But... You know, that's a lot different than, than going out there every fifth day and traveling the, the minor league life where you're on the bus and whatever, going city to city throughout the southeast part or southwest part of the northeast, um, or you're in the or you're in the Florida League. But it, it, there's a lot of potential there, and and maybe Callis is right. Maybe he could be, um, and I think maybe, and it, it's very possible it happens sooner rather than later. So just to recap, Jeremy agreed with our top three picks, and number seven is Eddie Yeen, number one being Quinn Priester, number two, Cody Bolton, number three, Brennan Malone, and then we had Eddie Yeen at seven, but besides that, it was it was completely different. I had Miguel Yohare at four, Tanaj Thomas at five, Carmen Majinski at six, Rose Contreras at eight, Michael Bur or I'm sorry, Rose Contreras at nine, Michael Burrows at eight, and Max Kranick rounding out my top ten list, and Jared, yours was... Uh, Jared Jones at four, Nick Garcia at five, number six, Will Crow, Eddie Ian at seven, and number eight was, I didn't write that down, I can't believe I didn't write that one down, but I had, but it was <laughs> Nick Mears at nine, and then 
uh, uh, Bren or wow, Blake Cedarlin at number ten. And who was eight for you? That's a very good. Um, I'm trying to look. Oh, Nick Mears. Nick Mears. I thought he was nine. We're missing a starter. We're missing a pitcher down at the bottom. You're missing. Oh, Oviedo. Oviedo. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I. Yeah, this is what happens whenever I don't write them down and I'm going based off of just memory. But right, and, um, but no, and, and we. I think I like the. I like the. We gotta dig give up. Give up a top twenty, and I think that's that's the way that I think a lot of prospect lists are are going to be right now because it, it, it's kind of like being a dead horse, but these guys haven't played in, in quite some time. Yeah. So we have no idea. You know, you look and, and you see the ebbs and flows of the game, and we haven't been able to see that and see that development. So it is kind of uncharted territory um, for the most part. But it'll, like I said, it'll be interesting once these guys get on the field to see how they truly have progressed. Yeah, and that's going to be one of the main storylines for 2021. Uh, tune in next week. We're going to go over our top 10 hitters. Same format, same roundtable discussion, maybe a little more overlap. <laughs> over that but thank you for listening you never know with us you never know with us you never know i i I already know that a couple guys on my list are probably not going to be on anyone else's so that's gonna be fun thank you for listening to young bucks uh be sure to subscribe to dk sports radio if you haven't already there's a lot of good stuff that comes out uh be sure to check out carter's chris carter's uh draft show which is also out today make sure to give that a listen uh thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week Thank you.